My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Sunrise, so glad that you uh, are watching us online. I wish we were in the room. We'll get to be in the room next week. Thanks for sticking with it. I know uh, it's been a challenging season to be alive. Uh, It's been a challenging season to have uh, just the passions of our heart, which are relationships, uh, curtailed because we can't be with one another, because there's a mass, because there are six feet of separation restrictions because there are the number of families that can be together and the number of people. And I hope you had a great Thanksgiving in spite of all that. But our heart is still to, as Pastor Taylor just said, to lead you in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we know that at different seasons of our lives, that means different things. And so please let us know what we can do to walk with you on that journey. Uh, Please feel free to send me an email, jamesg at isunrise.com. I'd love to know if maybe something's not working for you, if you feel like you're struggling. Uh, you can always send a prayer, uh, prayers at isunrise.com. You can always just contact us at pastors at isunrise.com. Uh, it's a challenging season for everybody, I know that. Whether you're a leader, whether you're in ministry, shepherding people, uh, whether you know, you're all alone right now, we're all in this together. And I know that as we round the corner of this and, and find our way out of it, it's going to be a different thing for all of us. And to that, I'm really thankful. I'm thankful that it's going to be different. I'm thankful that it's not going to be as uh, challenging as it has been the last seven, eight, nine months. Um, But the numbers don't look good. And so be in prayer. Every day I receive the Oregon uh, COVID, uh, you know, email and it talks about the number of cases and it lists every person who has passed away. And I read every one of those. Uh, They don't include names, but they include the age of the person and the county they were from. And every day I read those because that's a person. And my hope and prayer is that those people have been connected in a faith community. They're connected to God. Um, We don't want anybody uh, to perish. We don't want anybody to fall away, to be isolated, to be alone. Um, We're not all long for this world. We know that. And and one day we will all pass. I noted that Jay came to Christ in August of 79. I came to Christ in uh, December of 79. So we're both really old. And uh, Taylor let you know he's far younger than that. Uh, But one day we're all going to go. And this world is not our home. And so we've been in this series called Joyful Exiles to remind us 
that this place, even though we love it, even though we live here, it's our existence, it's not, it's not the life we're truly longing for. We are not uh, human beings having just a temporary spiritual experience here on this earth. We're spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. And there is a world to come. And Peter writes about this and he encourages believers to stay true to Jesus even though it's difficult. Now, my wife and I have three sons. We're blessed with them. And uh, throughout the years, we work hard at trying to disciple them. And along the journey, uh, you know, they ask a lot of questions. You know this if you have children or grandchildren. Maybe you're an aunt or uncle. You know, uh, kids, especially young ones, they ask the question, why? You know, why? 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 They're very inquisitive by nature, and I love it. And I think parents, uh, you know, at times we can push back on that because it's just why of everything. But I think if we can connect with that, we can realize that their inquisitive nature, their curiosity actually can help us on the path to disciple them. And along the journey, it's not uncommon in my own family, in my, at my dinner table, as we sit there, as we have a conversation around dinner or we do a, an evening devotional, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of talk about things as mom and dad. And I remember uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, waxing eloquent on something and I was talking about something and kind of tried to get to this point. And, and my youngest son, Seth, brilliantly asked this question. He said, is, Dad, is this one of your sermons? <laughs> and I thought inside, yes, and it's going to have 10 more points because of your smart aleck attitude. But <laughs> I just laughed at the kid because he was brilliant. He was calling me out. It's not the time to preach. But in my heart, I was wanting to communicate the why behind the reason for what mom and dad were talking about. You know, as parents, uh, my wife and I work hard at that, at helping them understand why we are saying the things we're doing. More importantly, most importantly, why God says what he says. Because we don't want church life or we don't want a religious life or a perceived relationship with God to be all about rules and restrictions. We want it to be about discovering the Father heart of God. And I know I've shared this with you before, and I'm going to share it again today. Uh, I got this when I was a youth pastor many, many years ago, and it's really wrapped around these five uh, words that begin with P, and I'll just quickly go down and kind of illustrate them. Uh, First of all, we want to share the precept. What's a precept? Well, in in the Bible, it's a command. It's a thou shalt, thou shalt not kind of thing, and the Bible is filled with that. It's a narrative book, so some sections have more intense thou shalts and shalt nots, and others are stories, and you learn along the way. Uh, But there's a precept. But underneath that precept, underneath that command, that verse, is a principle running all through Scripture. And I liken it this way. I'm a visual person. The precept is like a plant or a flower that springs up every once in a while. But underneath the earth, there's this underlying root system that connects them all together. There's something deeper than just a command. Well, the reason is because it all stems back to the Father heart of God and who he is as a person. Now, when we understand that and follow along, we understand that God is actually protecting us through the command. And most importantly, he's providing us a better way than what other people around us are telling us. And so, for example, truth, honesty. Um, if you think about the precepts in the Bible about truth, that, you know, thou shalt not lie, you know, don't bar, bear false witness, don't defraud your neighbor. If you go to court, you know, be honest, things like that. Well, the reason God talks about all these verses that tell us to be true with our words and true with our heart in our relationships is because there's a principle all through Scripture, and that is a principle of honesty and integrity that is all through Scripture. And you go, why? Well, because God is that. 
God is true. God is honest. He has complete integrity. God will never lie. God will never deceive or defraud us. And what's really cool is when we understand that, we understand that our Heavenly Father is protecting us. Let's say that we go out and we become a chronic liar, a habitual deceiver with our words. Man, we are going to destroy our relationships. We're going to destroy our future. We're going to disappoint people. We're going to hurt people. We're going to anger people. Uh, We're going to be distanced from people. So what God is doing is he's providing integrity in our relationships when we do it that way. Or sexuality for another one. There's precepts all through the Bible about sexual immorality and avoiding that and being sexually pure and uh, all that. Well, why? Because principally through the Bible is this whole idea of this purity in a relationship, this holiness in relationships. Well, why? Well, because God is pure, because God is holy. And again, what he's doing is he's protecting us from brokenness in our heart, in our relationships. Um, The world offers a lot and it says a lot of things, but in the end we're crushed and we're ruined because of the way the world says to walk. The culture's truth is not truth at all, it's deception. And what God is doing is he's providing for us integrity. Now, my, my wife says it this way, it always pays to do things God's way. And if you're watching and if you're, you're, you're thinking this through and maybe you're wrestling with one of God's commands, you're struggling with living that out, maybe you don't want to live it out because you want something else or you're wrestling on the edge of should I pursue this or should I not and you clearly know what God says, um, I just want to tell you, friends, God is a father that cares for you and he loves you and he wants what's best for you. And because of this, he sets parameters, he sets, he sets restrictions not to frustrate us, but to free us and to give us true life. Illustration, personally, I was 31 years old when I got married. And trust me, as a 20-year-old, 18 to 20-year-old man, going away to college and a single guy uh, on my own, I mean, I was lonely and I wanted sexual reality and fulfillment and I wanted to, to be married. I wanted those things, but I was really would be pursuing those for the wrong reasons. And so I committed to what God said as the truth for my life. And I held to that. And I had some friends who helped me hold to that, who kept me accountable and encouraged me and prayed for me. And when I was finally married at 31 and my wife and I, you know, we finally went on our honeymoon, I was able to be free, uh, not having any of those pains of the past because I had chosen to do things God's way. And I'm not saying it was easy. It was not easy. There were incredibly uh, huge temptations in my life. Um, but I decided to trust that God was a heavenly father that loved me and he wanted his best for me. And you see, that's why God wrote his scripture, the truth, the Bible. It's his teachings for us. That's why he gives us commands. That's why he teaches us the way he does. And although what he says may fly in the face of our culture and the Bible may seem like an old and outdated book, it is an old book, but it's not outdated. It is a book that's good for us. And so when we see what we're gonna see today, there's a reason why. Much like, uh, you know, my wife and I do at the dinner table, uh, Peter, Paul, the other writers of the New Testament, they're explaining why and then tell you what to do. Uh, if you look at the Apostle Paul, who was a great theologian, he wrote his books and the, about the first half of the book, he dumps all this content. He dumps all this doctrine and he, he just puts it all out there. And then he transitions and says, now this is why 
you should live this way because of what you already have learned. And so he teaches and then he instructs, okay? He, he, he says, this is the truth here. This is the command of God. Now this is what you should do. It's the belief and then it's the behavior. And he does this all throughout. And this is what Peter does for us. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up to 1 Peter 4. Uh, we've gone through our three chapters already. We're gonna wrap up at the end of the year. And this is what Peter says. He says, so then, and I put in brackets the word therefore, I'll come back to it. Since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. Now, a couple things in here. First of all, Peter says this. He says, when he's written about it, Christ suffered. Christ suffered. He, he didn't suffer for his own sins. Uh, he suffered for our sins. And Christ died on a cross. And he did all that, not just uh, so that we could have a way to the Father, not just that we could be connected to the Holy Spirit and, and have Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. He also did it as an example for us that we should follow in his steps. And particularly if you're struggling with suffering, it's really going to make a big difference for you. When you look at Jesus and how he suffered, even though it was unjust. And so that's why Peter is using Christ as an illustration. And if you notice up here, he says, so then, or I put in brackets, therefore. Now, if you've ever taken a Bible study methods course, I've taught Bible study methods. uh, They'll always say that there's a connection between what the author writes and then the next section. And so it's silly, but it's true. Uh, if, If you ever see a therefore, you've got to stop and ask what it's there for. And that's exactly what's going on. Uh, It's translated so then or therefore, uh, depending on the translation. But the idea is this. What I'm going to tell you now is based on everything I've already told you. And so if we just start chapter 4 and don't reflect back on chapters 1, 2, and 3, we're not going to understand why. And so Paul and Peter and, and these authors, Jesus himself, like good fathers, they write the instruction to their children, and then they say, now this is how we're to live. And that's what Peter is doing. So what is writing? What is he writing about? It says, Christ has suffered. Christ has suffered physical pain, and you must arm yourself. Arm yourself is a a military term to become ready for battle, to prepare yourself for battle. Because the battle they're going to face is an intense battle. They don't understand it. They don't know it. Peter may or may not at this point. But the suffering they're experiencing now is nothing like the suffering they're going to experience when Nero unleashes all of the hells of Rome upon them. And, and the, the persecution is the first great persecution of the church. And so Peter, as a father, as a, as a dad, as a, as a pastor, as a shepherd, he says, now that we've looked at Jesus, keep looking at Jesus. Because if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you can make it through the suffering when you consider all that he's done for you. Now stop and think about that, friends, for just a minute. He says, having died in Christ because you believe in Christ, you no longer have to wrestle with sin the way you used to have to wrestle with it. Because now Jesus has paid the penalty of our sin. Now, there's still going to be a wrestling with sin. There's still going to be a wrestling with suffering. No question about that. But we do it differently now because we have God's Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we have the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who went before us. And he said no to sin, and we can say no to sin. He was tempted in all ways, like we're tempted. And yet he said, no, we can have strength now. We can draw on that and say no to sin and the temptation of sin. 
Christ suffered unjustly, and when he suffered unjustly, he didn't even open his mouth to defend himself, but he put his trust in his Father is what we've seen. Well, now when we suffer unjustly, when it's not fair, when it's wrong, when, when the world is coming against us, when people are slandering us, when people are using our witness for Christ against us, we can trust in Jesus because he's already walked that path. Now, the situation that they're going through is because they have changed lives now. They used to be this. In fact, let's jump into the next uh, verse. Verse 3 here, it says, you have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. They used to enjoy these things. The, the idea, the, the, the pleasures of the world in that culture, you would go to your idol, your temple, you would go in your religious worship and you would get drunk and you would have orgies and you would participate in all these things. And it was all very good in the culture because it was their idols and wrapped up with religion and wrapped up with culture. And this is what everybody did. And when the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter walked into places. This is what they experienced. They experienced the people that were living an incredibly immoral lifestyle all in the name of their God or goddess. And now they've come to faith in Jesus and Jesus has set some moral parameters around them. And he said, okay, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And so they don't live that way anymore. And yet the problem is, is they're getting slandered because of this. He says, you've already had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. You used to do these things you used to be like that their immorality and lusts their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols in other words everything's wrapped together it's this lifestyle that this culture communicates as normal as good as acceptable if you want to line up with us this is how you'll act you slip right into these behaviors i wonder what peter or or paul for example would write about our culture today if he's writing to people who used to be a certain way and now they're no longer like that because Christ has set some parameters for the morality of a follower of Christ and we're living accordingly. If we were to look back to our old life, what would Peter say? We used to live like that. We used to do that. Obviously, there would be things about sexuality, right? There would be things about consumption. There would be things about our attitudes, our actions, there would be things, uh, that, uh, even our assumptions of what we believe to be true are now different because we have God living inside of us. And Peter says that they will be slandered. Now, I don't know if that's true in your life. Um, I came to Christ so many years ago. Like I said, it's, it's been, wow, it's been almost 41 years now since I came to Christ. So I don't have that same experience. Um, I, I was just a teenager when I came to Christ. I was basically, you know, a decent kid. I was a rebel in my heart. But the fact is, is that I can't look at it in the same way. But some of you, you've only come to Christ in the last six months or a couple years. And you could say, man, I used to live like that. I used to be like that. You know exactly what Peter is writing about. And so this is what he says in chapters four, in chapter four, verses four and five. He says this, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge. I like that word. That, that is like jumping into the deep end of the pool with sin. When you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Now, when you no longer go along with the flow of the crowd, when you no longer jump into the deep end of the pool of your, your lustful desires, your, as Paul describes them as your over-desires, good desires that are cranked up 
RPM'd way beyond red line. When you no longer pursue those things, people look at you and they can either be attracted to that, more likely they'll be offended by it because it shines a light on them. A glaring light begins to grow in their life because they see how you're different. And now the challenge is going to be, what are you going to do in that moment? What do you do when all eyes are on you? Let's say at work. Let's say at school. You're in a situation where you're a follower of Christ and people look at you. What will they see in you? And not necessarily that they're living differently than you right now, but they look at you now and see that you have something different internally. And that internal true north reveals itself differently. The way you talk, the way you act, the way you relate to people, the way you respect people, the way you respond to the situations, to COVID, to politics, to all the things that are pressuring us in the world today, how you react and respond to things. They look at you and they go, you're different than I am. Is that a good thing? Uh, Sometimes they don't see it as a good thing. They see it as a threatening thing. And so they slander. But, But what Peter says here is don't forget, everybody will be judged. Everybody is going to be judged. One day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. One day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every person will confess that Jesus is Lord. You've decided to do it in this lifetime. But one day, one day everyone will bow before Christ. And the end of the book tells us it's going to be horrific for those who refuse Christ in their day and age, in their own lifetime. Because they refuse to bow. But Jesus is Lord, whether you believe it or not, whether you receive it or not. Just because you don't want it to be true doesn't make it a false belief. Jesus is Lord, and he could be your Savior. As Christians, we base our salvation on faith in Jesus, not on our works. But the reality is this, is that God does come calling, and he does, he does give us some commands to obey. Um, in, in uh, the last verse here, I just want to talk about, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a weird verse. There's a couple weird ones in Peter. Uh, this is why the good news was preached to those that are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God and the Spirit. And there's several interpretations about that, whether Jesus preached to people who were dead. Or the reality of the simplest understanding is that people have already suffered and they've died. They, they, they were preached, they responded to Christ, and now they're dead. And yet, you know, People are destined to die like all people, but now they live forever. We will all go that way. We will all pass that way, but we will live forever with God. Now, the question is, what do we do today in our struggle with sin? Because that makes a statement to the people all around us. They may slander us. uh, They may be attracted to us. They may come to Christ because of our example. Uh, But what do we do with our own struggle with sin? Because people are watching. People are watching. Um, I'm not saying we're never going to struggle with sin because that's not true at all. We know that. We know we wrestle with sin. Um, Over and over and over again, the Bible says that even though we're followers of Christ, we have these compulsions, these urges to sin. And anybody that tells you they're sinless is not true. I mean, they're deceived, right? But the Bible does say by following Christ, we can learn to sin less and give over, over all those temptations to him. Um, the great Oxford theologian, John Owens, wrote many books, and I've read a couple of them. They're really hard to read. It's, 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 he's really brilliant, and it's old English. But the fact is, is he, he writes this. I'm going to paraphrase this. He says, as a person struggling with sin, that's for you and that's for me. He said, you can choose to take it to one of two places. You can choose to take it to Mount Sinai, but you'll be defeated. What he's saying there is you can go back to the law. 
and you can obey all the rules. But you're going to be defeated because you can't always obey the rules. The law was given to Moses, right? You could go back and obey all those commands, but that is not a way for freedom. He says, or you can take your sins to Mount Calvary, the cross where Christ died for your sins. And, and, and simply what he's saying is, in your wrestling with sin, in your struggle with sin, and your desire sometimes, it seems like this over-desire that's going to take over your life, you can either like appeal to the law and try to check the boxes. That's futile. Or you can go to Christ who died on the cross for your sins. And you can remember the one who faithfully carried your sins to the cross and that you have now died to that past penalty of sin and the power that's in you by the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to live a new life. And you can lean on Jesus who suffered for you and experienced every temptation that you and I have experienced and yet he didn't sin. And that God would give us a way out if we look to Jesus. Paul wrote about this in, in Romans. He's really clear about this. In chapter six, um, it's, it's beautiful. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. That's a pretty good verse right there. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God For you were dead, but are now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right to the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. And you and I, now that we respond to this message and receive Christ as our Savior and Lord, we no longer follow the law. We follow Jesus Christ. And that means that, yeah, we're going to struggle. But the reality is that God has given us everything we need in the person of Christ, dying on the cross for us, and the Holy Spirit living inside of us to overcome that. The community of faith, the church itself, accountability partners, he's given us. Everything we need to do what is right. Now, when I was a, a teenager in high school, um, you know, struggle with lust and sin, huge. And, and so I memorized Romans 6 and I personalized it. And I just kind of wrapped it up in my heart and my hand and grafted it into my life. And I used to lean on Romans 6 over and over and over again when I struggled in that battle with sin. And even today, certain verses like these pop into my head immediately when I'm wrestling with sin. And if I am faithful to just quote the Bible and to look to Jesus, man, there's victory. I don't always do that though, to be frank. Sometimes I'd rather enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, right? We're all there. So how do we wrestle with this? How do we work this out? You know, the Bible says that our salvation, we died to the power of sin in our life, but we still wrestle with it. We still struggle with it. This is God's desire to purify us and sanctify us, to make us holy, to set us apart on that road to holiness we talked about a couple months ago. Well, here's what Paul says to Titus. I love it. It's so simple. He says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In other words, God's spirit living inside of you, the example of Jesus, the love of your heavenly father and his teaching through the scripture teaches us to say no and actually 
say yes, to say no to ungodliness, to the worldly passions, to our lust, but to say yes to a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people. That's you and that's me that are his very own eager to do what is good. Now, I'm not saying this wrestling is, is easy or it's, it's easy to solve. It is a lifelong struggle. And sometimes you feel powerless. Sometimes you feel like this urge or this lust, this over-desire cranked up is just overwhelming you. You know, God loves you, my friends. And I'm, just, I'm here to say that you have friends. You have you have the body of Christ. You have a small group. You have some friends, an accountability group, whatever you have. If you don't, you have to have that where you lean to and lean on. You have people you can trust where you could just be honest with. You have to have that in your life and say, here's where I'm wrestling. Here's where I'm struggling in this age. You have to have people you can text or call. You have to have someone you can reach out to because the power of sin is strong, but the power of your Savior is stronger than that. And you have been given a way out then when your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates look at you, they see a life that's different, no longer enjoying all the things that maybe you used to enjoy or that they're enjoying. And they look at you and, and, and you're weird, that's for sure, you're different. Maybe that's good, maybe they're offended by that because it, it brings some kind of, maybe internally they, they're convicted because of the way you're living your life. And they wish they could see that in you. Or other times, they just look at you and they want to write you off. Because you will disturb the pattern of their life. And you will upset the very yes for them in their lives by you saying no. You know, you can do nothing, friends, to earn your salvation. Nothing. Salvation is a free gift. You can't serve your way to salvation. You can't live a morally good life and earn your salvation. It's a free gift to anyone who receives this message of Jesus. But you know, once you receive the message of Jesus, God does put some moral boundaries on your life, demands, internal and external. And God expects us to live up to that image of Christ. And he's actually doing that work inside of us to conform us into the image of Christ. And God's grace teaches us and gives us the strength to say no to things that are wrong for us. And he gives us the strength to say yes to the things that are right for us. We no longer have to plunge ourselves in the deep end of the pool of sin, but we are to arm ourselves, to ready ourselves for battle because it is a spiritual battle that we're fighting. Not in our own power, but in the name of Christ and in the community of faith that God has given us. Jesus died for your sin so that not just eternally you won't have to pay for it, so that you can wrestle with and win this battle with sin today to free you from sin's control. And so whatever you're wrestling with these days, whatever you're struggling with, is it internal? Is it an attitude? Is it a perspective? Is it a belief system? Have you chosen to turn your belief away from what God clearly says in his word to adopt a belief or a lifestyle that's completely the opposite and you've somehow justified that? God's given you the ability to say no to that and lean on his grace and come back to him. Or maybe yours is the opposite. You're trusting in all your righteousness and you're racking up good credits for yourself. That's sin and of itself right there. You need to repent of your own righteousness and come back to faithfulness, to walking in obedience to God. 
God gives us the power. He gives us the understanding to live according to his ways and to live a godly life. Now see, friends, Jesus died on the cross for you. Therefore, you can live a new life. Therefore, you have everything you need to live this life in his word, in the community of faith, inside of you with the Holy Spirit. And hopefully, prayerfully, the world will look at you and see something that's attractive. And you will be able to lead others to Jesus because of this. But at times, completely honestly, they will be offended and they won't be attracted. But that light won't be a a nice, warm, attractive light. That'll be a glaring light that reveals their own brokenness and sin. And they will slander you and they will persecute you and they will try to destroy your name and your image. And then you'll experience the sufferings that Christ went through and you will not be alone. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I don't know what obviously every person's going through. I don't know what we're wrestling with in this moment, whether it's faith and trust and hope in you and provision and this challenging world we live in right now. Maybe it's health and the physical needs. God, I pray we would cry out to you for those things. But maybe it's just like what Peter writes about. It's about living a godly life in the midst of a godless culture. God, may we be the antithesis of what we see in the world today. Not because we have anything that's righteous, but that you have given us your righteousness and we can walk a new path. We can walk a new life, a life that shines glory, not on us, but on you, that shines the light, not on our achievements or good works, but really on you and the way that you would call others to follow. God, may we this very week learn to say no to the sin that so easily entangles us and trips us up and say yes to following you. And may that be an example for others to follow. We pray in your name, amen.